Join us here at Kingdom of the Logos for a journey into the unknown. Today in our program, we're going to be discussing the haunting of Mr. Wesley. And yes, this is from John Wesley, Wesley's works, The Disturbance in My Father's House, where his father had a very peculiar thing happen there in Epworth Rectory. So thank you for joining me. I'm Pastor J. Dylan Proctor, and there are a few others here with me in the studio. I'm Pastor Amanda Sparrow. I'm Pastor Mike Proctor. I'm Pastor Jenny Little from Muncie, Indiana. Yes, we have Pastor Jenny here with us, and it's going to be a pleasure. We're going to have fun today. So today we are going to be listening to what is a bit of a ghost story, though this is kind of also an X-File. There's some <laughs> things unanswered there in the end of it. But as we jump into this, our format for today is I'm going to share the story with Pastor Amanda and Pastor Mike helping me read that. And then we're going to come back together and we're going to discuss it and see what we can learn from it. Why? Because in our world, there are a lot of peculiar occurrences that happen. And it's actually important for us in the church to talk about this because oftentimes where we do find something supernatural, something preternatural or preternatural, some sort of demonic oppression, not necessarily just possession, but also oppression, there's oftentimes some underlying sin. And we're going to hope, we're going to, hope to have a meaningful conversation about all this. So thank you for joining me. Let's begin. So, this is an account of the disturbances in my father's house by John Wesley. John Wesley writes, When I was very young, I heard several letters read, wrote to my elder brother by my father, giving an account of strange disturbances, which were in his house at Etworth in Lincolnshire. Let us begin. Entry 1. When I went down thither in the year 1726, I carefully inquired into the particulars. I spoke to each of the persons who were then in the house and took down what each could testify of his or her own knowledge, the sum of which was this. Entry 2. On December 2nd, 1716, while Robert Brown, my father's servant, was sitting with one of the maids a little before 10 at night, in the dining room which opened to the garden, they both they both heard one knocking at the door. Robert rose and opened it, but could see nobody. Quickly, it knocked again and groaned. Is it Mr. Turpin? said Robert. He had the stone and used to groan so. He opened the door again twice or thrice, the knocking being twice or thrice repeated, but still seeing nothing and being a little startled. He rose and went up to bed, but still seeing nothing and being a little startled, he heard what was the sound of the gobbling of a turkey cock close to the bedside and soon after the sound of one stumbling over his shoes and boots, but there were none there, and he had left them below. Entry 3. The next day he and the maid related these things to the other maid, who laughed heartily at them and said, what a couple of fools are you? I defy anything to fright me. After turning in the evening, she put the butter in the tray, and had no sooner carried it to the dairy than she heard a knocking on the shelf where the glasses of milk stood, first above the shelf, then below. She took a candle and searched both above and below, but being able to find nothing, threw down the butter, tray and all, and ran away for her life. Entry 4 the next evening, between five and six o'clock, my sister Molly, then about twenty years of age, sitting in the dining room, reading, heard, reading, heard as if it were the door that led into the hall open, 
and a person walking in that seemed to have on a silk nightgown rustling and trailing along. It seemed to walk round her, then to the door, then round again, but she could see nothing. She thought, it signifies nothing to run away, for whatever it is, it can run faster than me. So she rose, put her book under her arm, and walked slowly away. Entry 8. As both my father and mother are now at rest, it is incapable of being pained thereby. I think it my duty to furnish the serious reader with the key circumstance. The year before King William died, my father observed my mother did not say amen to the prayer for the king. She said she could not, for she did not believe the Prince of Orange was king. He vowed he would never cohabitate with her till she did. He then took his horse and rode away, nor did she hear anything of him for a twelfth month. He then came back and lived with her as before, but I fear this vow was not forgotten before God. Entry 9. Being informed that Mr. Poole, the vicar of Haxey, an eminently pious and sensible man, could give me some father information, I walked over to him and said, he said, Robert Brown came over to me and told me your father desired my, desired my company. When I came, he gave me an account of all the things that happened, particularly the knocking during family prayer. But that evening, to my great satisfaction, we had no knocking at all. But between nine and ten, a servant came in and said, Old Jeffries is coming. That was the name of the one who died in the house. For I hear the signal. This, they informed me, was heard every night about a quarter before ten. It was toward the top of the house on the outside and at the northeast corner resembling a loud creaking of a saw or rather that of a windmill when the body of it is turned about in order to shift the sails to the wind. We then heard a knocking over our heads, and Mr. Wesley, catching up a candle, said, Come, sir, now you shall see, you shall hear for yourself. We went upstairs. He, with much hope, and I, to say the truth, with much fear. When we came into the nursery, it was knocking in the next room. When we were there, it was knocking in the nursery. And there it continued to knock. Though we came in, particularly at the head of the bed, which was of wood, in which Miss Hetty and her two uh, younger sisters lay. Mr. Wesley, observing that they are much affected, though asleep, sweating and trembling exceedingly, was very angry, and pulling out a pistol, was going to fire at the place from whence the sound came. But I catched him by the arm and said, Sir, you are convinced this is something preternatural. If so, you cannot hurt it, but you give it power to hurt you. He then went dose to the place and said sternly, Thou death and dumb devil, why dost thou fright these children? They cannot answer for themselves. Come to me in my study that am a man. Instantly it knocked his knock, the particular knock which he always used at the gate. as if it 
should shiver the board in pieces if we heard nothing more that night. Entry 10. Till this time my father had never heard the least disturbance in his study, but the next evening as he attempted to go into his study, of which none had the key but himself, when he had opened the door it was thrust back with such violence as had liked to have thrown him down. However, he thrust the door open and went in. Presently there was knocking, first on one side, then on the other, and after a time in the next room wherein my sister Nancy was. He went into the room, and the noise continuing, adjourned to it to speak, but in vain. He then said, Though spirits love darkness, put out the candle and perhaps it will speak. She did so, and he repeated his adjuration, but still there was only knocking and no articulate sound. Upon this he said, Nancy, two Christians are an overmatch for the devil. Go all of you downstairs. It may be when I am alone he will have courage to speak. When she was gone, a thought came in, and he said, If thou art the spirit of my son Samuel, I pray knock three knocks and no more. Immediately all was silent, and there was no more knocking that night. Entry 14 Several gentlemen and clergymen now earnestly advised my father to quit the house. But he constantly answered them, No. Let the devil flee from me. I will never flee from the devil. But he wrote to my eldest brother at London to come down. And he was preparing to do so when another letter came, informing him the disturbances were over. And after they had continued, for the latter part of the time, day and night, from the 2nd of December all the way till the end of January. All right, so anyone out there listening to us, we have just heard some excerpts from the Disturbances in My Father's House, a record put together by John Wesley looking at his own family's experience there at Epworth Rectory. Now, there's a lot more to this story than everything we covered. In fact, the children had become so accustomed to these knockings, these sounds, even one of the, the daughters, one of the, the daughters there of the Wesley family would feel the ghost the spirit, whatever it was, and walking around behind her as she would sweep the floors and clean the rooms. And she got so used to it that she said, I kind of wished it would do the work for me. You know, it sweeps <laughs> along after me as if it's going to like get me, but I wish it would just do my sweeping for me. Another one of them said, you know, there's nothing more I would prefer as a distraction from the course of the day than to hear the ghost upstairs and me to run upstairs and try to catch it. <laughs> and I want us to talk about this because... There's a lot that we can learn from kind of how this family responds to this, and it's very different to, than how many people today would respond to such a, a situation. So, for starters, I'm going to ask the question to us all, and we'll kind of keep this short, one-word answer. Are we buying, selling, or holding the haunting of Epworth Rectory? So, buy, sell, or hold this whole ghost story. Uh, we'll start with Pastor Amanda over there. I'll buy it. You're going to buy it? Yeah. All right, Pastor Jenny, what I, about you? I buy it. You're buying it? Pastor Mike? Well, I'm going to buy. I'm going to buy it. See, he wanted to add in more of an exposition there. No, no. I'm buying it too. So we're all four in here buying it. Let's get into a discussion on this though. Okay. So in John Wesley's record of this, it is described as being preternatural. Hmm. Now, I'm here to bring back the English language. We have largely killed it. Preternatural is a word that we don't use very often anymore. In fact, you've probably never heard of it. I've never heard of it before reading this story. Had to do a little bit of research into mm -hmm. it. The preternatural, you might describe it as being the watered-down supernatural a little bit, kind of the diet version of supernatural. <laughs> but in truth, 
it is something which is beyond our ordinary circumstances. It's not something which is necessarily just the beast rose up out of the sea and now like we've entered into the, the stages of revelation. But it is something where it's, it's beyond our ordinary explanation. It's something where we can't necessarily lay our finger on it. So this is described as being a preternatural event. And I think many times in our own life when we do encounter things unusual, it actually may be accurate to describe them as preternatural. It's kind of beyond what we might expect, though it's not so full-on out-and-out wild or crazy. I mean, there's not somebody overtly possessed by a demon, you know, thrashing about in the floor, being thrust into the fire, anything like that. But it is still beyond explanation. So let's talk about how this family reacted to it. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find to be amazing is John Wesley's father. One of the final statements in this story is he says, No, let the devil flee from me. I will never flee from the devil. In a modern day and age, it's not uncommon to hear people say, I don't want to watch horror movies because I don't want to open myself up to the devil. Like, we don't even want to look at a lot of content or material or images or hear stories that are spooky because we feel like that might open us up to the devil. Here, John Wesley's father has it living in his house with him, and he says, no, I'm not leaving. It's going to leave. Hmm. And another great line he has from this is, two Christians are an overmatch for the devil. Go ahead and put out your candle. You know, maybe he's a coward. Maybe he can't speak unless it's dark. John Wesley's father is not afraid of this thing at all. And his faith is never diminished. It never takes possession of them. It never does anything to really destroy them. John Wesley's father, as a Christian, is fully confident in it. And so are even the children. They're totally confident in it, too. So thoughts on that, how the family reacts to this and how we might compare that to today. And I don't know who would like to jump into this first. Pastor Mike, you're giving me the the eye over there. (laughs) Well, you know, I think, first of all, we're created in the image of God, and and our God's not a weak God. And we we must understand this Jeffries or the devil or whatever it is, this oppression that's going on there, that God is the creator, and that evil and the devil is a fallen creation, and thus— when we give ourselves to God, this whole relationship, we are to live under under God's household rules, and God has, is, is living inside us. We're adopted as children of God, and we need to live in that strength and courage because the days are evil for sure, whether it looks like this spook or whatever type of sins that are going on in the world. We need to live in that strength and that faith and courage that we see uh, by John Wesley's um, father and his sisters. Yeah, and the devil is a fallen creature. Like a lot of times we want to just act like it's something out there in the ether, uncreated like God, but that's not the case. Scripture is actually pretty staunch on this. You look in the book of Job, the adversary Satan is a fallen creature. You look there in something like Second Peter 2 where it says, And God spared not the angels who sinned, but cast them into the nether gloom beneath all worlds in chains of darkness reserved unto the day of judgment. You look somewhere like Revelation 5, and there's the whole book that's to be opened, and it has these seven seals, words on the outside, words on the backside, all this stuff. They look in heaven. None in heaven are worthy to to open the yeah. book. Why? And John because, weeps. And God, yeah, yeah John, John weeps yeah. because there's the creatures of God, including those angels, which are also creatures made by God. Um, there is even sin there. And like a lot of times we we don't talk about that in modern Christianity, but the Bible is actually pretty pretty clear on this subject. And you find a lot of instances, New Testament and Old Testament. Uh, Pastor Amanda, your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, I think it's interesting in like the sections that, that I read where you have such differing responses, like the maid runs for her life, 
but also after she had kind of made fun of the the other servants and them uh you know she kind of basically says oh you guys are just being little scaredy cats and then you have one of the sisters of john wesley who's just like you know what if it's gonna get me it's gonna get me so why be afraid i'm just gonna like tuck the book under my arm and walk calmly to bed And, and i think there's this one there's this very interesting reaction where often in human a nature where a lot of talk <laughs> like we're like oh we're not scared we can handle it and then when we're actually faced with whatever's going on we, we kind of get called to the carpet a little bit and have to actually face the things of our world and but also I think in the sister there is a beautiful response that even though this thing is a little outside of the normal and the natural and they're not quite sure you know is it a demon is it a ghost is it you know just an old house creaking either way whatever this may be it is still not terrifying and it can't be terrifying because like that's her her life is not her own and she trusts that into something bigger and so she doesn't have to be scared so if it gets her it gets her if it doesn't get her it doesn't get her there's no reason to be afraid um and so i think there's there's just this comical but also very serious kind of theme that runs through these stories um, of some great courage, uh, even um, even in the midst of something so unknowable. Yeah, and courage is the word for it. And C.S. Lewis, I couldn't even tell you the book, he, he describes courage not as a virtue in and of itself, but as a testing of all the other virtues. Like you're testing the virtue of your faith, the virtue of hope even, because the hope is found in this story. Like mm-hmm. they have hope that this is not going to like ruin them. They are willing to walk out their faith in, a, in the surroundings of you know, a house afflicted by this haunting and not really affected by it. So there's real courage there by really all the members of the family. Even John Wesley's father, who has a little bit of of fear himself, he pulls out the pistol and the other one with him says, you know, you're not going to kill it because it's, you know, it's invisible, but you might give it power to, to have, you know, some danger over you. And, but the truth was, even though there was a little bit of fear and trembling there, it was conquered. It wasn't the governing body. He, mm-hmm. he overcame the fear, as did the entire family. It's a remarkable thing. Pastor Jenny, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share with us on this? I think that it talks a lot about the family dynamics where they each have so many different responses. But even though there is some fear, they do conquer it. And they also seem to know when to bring somebody else in. They bring mm-hmm. a couple other people in or they talk about it to each other. And so there's a lot of openness with that, which is really great and important in the Christian walk. And he brings in other pastors and clergymen to help him figure out how to handle this. And, you know, toward the end, he's even contacting his other son and trying to get him to come over. And he tells him not to worry about it because things stop. But I think that there's something really important about bringing things into the light versus just hiding them. Because when we are truly afraid and concerned about how we can handle it on our own, um, those things tend to get worse and we can't reach out for help when we are so um, corrupted by our fear and we have to have others step in and help us sometimes learn how to handle those sorts of things. Yeah, and just building off that, and it is so wonderful to have Pastor Jenny here with us, and you, you kind of hit there on the family dynamic that we, we do have different gifts and graces. Like the New Testament's pretty clear on this. We're, we're the body of Christ. Not everybody has the stomach for every situation, and that's fine. That's actually one of the beautiful things about being a family together. And right here in this situation, we do find this courage. We do find this perseverance. 
And you kind of mentioned there all these people overcoming their fear and not being corrupted by it. I think that was kind of your specific language there. In our modern world, we find ourselves perpetually going back to kind of the well of fear. I'm not, this is like an, an irk that I have <laughs> in my own life. I at, at Jolton Church of the Nazarene, we're constantly, you know, not doing this, preaching against it. But you find us, our society as a whole, as we become more and more ungodly, as we've lost the Christian faith, people go back to the well of fear, not being able to overcome for it, not ever, excuse me, not being able to overcome it, but instead being corrupted by it, like deliberately corrupted by it. And we've also done that as we've lost that dynamic of the family and particularly within the body of Christ, recognizing the different gifts and graces we have. And I don't know if you wanted to to respond by that, like as our culture as a whole, our culture is at a place now that is easily corrupted by fear where you don't see that happening in this story. I don't know if you want to further explore that or any initial thoughts to that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that our culture now has just been so corrupted by fear and, you know, whether it's taking a different job or, um, you know, just basic having time for different things. We're so up, we're so set in our ways that we don't want to offset things and go beyond and be bold. We are timid in that way. And I'm not sure if it's just, I'm trying to think of the right wording. I'm sorry. I'm trying, I'm not sure if it's just that we aren't having faith or if it's just that over time, culture has shifted away from um, being more bold, being more politically correct. And yeah. so we just aren't as comfortable with upsetting the normal. And so we try to handle our problems on our own. And sometimes they're too difficult for just us. We have to get other people's help in that or just another opinion so that we can be bold together. Yeah, sure. Pastor Mike. Yeah, I'd just like to ride on uh, Pastor Jenny's coattails there when she was talking about this whole family dynamic and the power of the faith that they had. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing to, to see, you know, not only, I guess you could say that this these preternatural disturbances that were going on is something to be fearful of, but to share one's testimony of what they have experienced, there has to be an, a conquering of that to be comfortable enough to share this as she was talking about you know with with the social conditions whether it's something our culture has shifted to or whether it's just you know um, the the boldness is somewhat left it seems like but understand this is not a matter of a Christian testimony this is just a testimony that they have experienced something that they really can't explain and yet there is something powerful about our faith and if we look to the martyrs um, throughout Christianity, we see those boldly proclaiming their face and uh, their faith, excuse me. And so even when we see Dietrich Bonhoeffer, there is this certain amount of boldness that we see reflected in this story to go ahead and share, um, yeah. you know, the testimony of Christ Jesus in our life. Um, that that we have no, you know, in the Bible it tells us, even Jesus tells us, fear not. Yeah. Right. Fear not. Over and over again. Yeah. I, I would actually say this is an explicitly Christian testimony in the same way that the book of Esther is clearly a a godly testimony. Like even without the name of God being directly mentioned, Esther is not Esther without God being the hmm. wind in her sails. Like the Wesley family isn't overcoming this without the wind of Christ. Oh, no, that's behind true. Them. That's true. I'm- and 
Now we get kind of to the second stage of our conversation here. What we find generally when we look at the world around us, whenever there's some sort of demonic oppression, that being the the idea that we have here in the house where the demon may not actually be inhabiting someone as sort of a vessel, but the demon is wreaking havoc on the people. Nonetheless, we do find that there's usually some underlying sin, both for people who are possessed by demons or for those who have been under the influence of them. Like demons do tend to prey on people. If you if you have sin in your life, then that helps them enter the equation. Now, John Wesley, he actually tries to address this. There's kind of a weird one-off statement that he brings up in there. He's like, you know, my parents, they aren't here to defend themselves anymore. They've passed on. But there was this whole incident where they were praying for the king, which is a very big deal in the Anglican church. And his mother, John Wesley's mother, did not say amen at the end of the prayer. And John Wesley's father, in response to that, is like, hey, you didn't say amen for the king. And she's like, I don't believe the, the king of Orange is, or the prince of Orange is king. And he's like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to be here with you. I'm not going to live with you anymore over that. You know, you're talking about like some strict rules. Like, you're not going to say amen? Bye. I'm out. And, and which he, again, they're at the rectory. So John Wesley's father, um, let's say not a small insignificant man of God at this point in time but he leaves for a whole year like leaves for a whole year because his wife won't say amen at the end of a prayer and he makes a vow before God that he won't live with her Um, after the king dies he comes back and John Wesley he doesn't say this is the sin like his father breaking the vow his father made this vow that he wouldn't live with his wife because she didn't say amen at the end of a prayer he doesn't say this is necessarily sinful but he does leave that speculation that this this vow that he made, perhaps this was not forgotten before God, that this might have some connection with this ghost, this ghoul, this preternatural event. And he doesn't even affirm that it's a ghost or a ghoul, like John Wesley never goes that far. But these weird disturbances might have something to do with his father taking a vow and not not following through with it. Pastor Amanda, you look like you're about to well, erupt with No, I just think it's interesting, like, you, you heard the story and you're like, okay, it's the breaking of the vow that may have resulted in something. And I heard the story and I was thinking, oh, it's him making the vow. Like, well, that's true. He got his priorities out of whack. Like, yeah. And I get it. For the Anglican Church and for in a lot of denominations like the Lutheran Church that were birthed out of very um, clear national ties, when you, when you down the king, you're not just downing a guy ruling a nation. You're downing, like, God's vessel. So this was a big deal. So this is yeah. not a small thing. And I think as Americans, we're a little further removed from kind of that ideology. But right. so I'm not trying to downplay that. But well, like, the reason why I said what I did is John's Wesley line is, I fear his vow was not forgotten before God. So it could be interpreted right, that either way. It's way. The making the, the vow. Yeah. But somehow the vow has, has something, something to do with to this. Do that. And that's yeah. what, but I just think it's fascinating and, and um, for his father to be this upset over it. But also at some point he came back yeah. and like Susanna Wesley she, I guess she stuck by her guns. I don't I, know. I, I know. Um, and it's just a very fascinating dynamic that has happened in this family. And, and what we do know of the Wesley family, though, is even in the midst of these d- political disagreements, that there was a very central aspect where, like, John Wesley will write about his mom. Like, she, her day was organized around her personal prayer, but also having prayer time with each of her children. And I, I always hear different numbers, but I think there were like 17 kids at some point of of the Wesley household. And I, I don't remember if that's like 17 total, but then there were a few who passed or if that was like those who had lived past childhood. I, I, but a great number of children that Susanna Wesley t- cared for. 
But prayer was also always central in her day and in dealing with her family. And so it also is interesting Then she wouldn't say amen. So she must have really not liked this oh, Prince yeah. of Orange. Oh, yeah. Like he, he was kind of, you know, enemy number one. But even in the midst, like you're saying, there was something, some kind of brokenness. Yeah. Even if it wasn't sin. But there was some kind of family right. strife that was involved in this situation that John Wesley's like, could this have been it that allowed this, whatever this was, to come in? And and I think that's a very fascinating aspect of the story because it almost seems like a throwaway story, like that, that, um, that section. Line. Yeah. yeah, that section just seems almost like random, like, okay, we just went down a bunny trail, where are we going? But maybe Wesley's trying to tell us, like, it could be sin, it could have just been a misunderstanding in the family but whatever happened something caused a rift and now we have to either reconcile it or deal with it if we're going to move past it yeah and pastor jenny i don't know if you have any thoughts you want to add to this um i have something i want to add real quickly though in second peter three we get this whole line that with the lord a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day and we oftentimes kind of use that to mean like God's outside of time, and it certainly does. But also it, it does mean that the events of a day affect eternity, and the mm. events of eternity affect a day. So the small incident, whether it be the vow or refusing to say amen at the end of the prayer, things that we would, you know, blow past, you know, we would not give that like a second thought. That event, that small day might affect eternity like it, it might actually be a big deal and john wesley is in tune with that fact he's like hey this little vow that you may have made out of like a, a trite disagreement may have been pretty bad you may have invited like the devil to come live in your house doing that so it's it's interesting to see that dynamic because that shows you a little bit of of wesley's own thinking and pastor Jeannie, i don't know if you want to slip in here yeah so i think you know kind of going back to the original question i think that a lot of times Things aren't necessarily sin, but they do start to um, break down our family systems or break down our relationship between us and God. And so, you know, some of this stuff can start out really innocent. You know, we go from the knocking and, you know, oh, what was that? And opening the door and, you know, this slight mystery behind it to some more sinister stuff with people being very afraid and with, um, you know, toward the end, Mr. Wesley trying to go into his office and, you know, just being forced back. And so it's definitely the strong escalation afterwards. And, you know, as we start to kind of open ourselves up, sometimes we kind of get closer to the line. I know in one of the churches that I've been at, um, we've had reports about people um, hearing children's laughter and hearing children running up and down the hallway. And when we've given more attention to those things and then um, kind of sought that out and tried to hear for it, sometimes we've heard other things and it's escalated to points where people have heard, um, you know, I'm gonna kill you and things like that, Mm -hmm. that um, raise the stakes versus just that original laughter where it seems like something that could be you know, almost harmless. But as we have brokenness in our foundations, whether it's our family or, you know, something we've said to somebody that maybe we didn't necessarily mean it or we overreacted, we open the door for hurt to come in, we open the door for brokenness to come in. 
and God has to step in and heal that. And we have to, um, again, bring it into the light so that that healing can take place. Sure. Mm -hmm. And kind of building off that, there's, there's no shortage of preternatural stories here at Dalton, to use that word. There's a lot of inexplicable stuff. A lot of instances where people see people who aren't there, they hear voices of people who aren't there, including the voices of living people who were physically somewhere else at the time. Like there's a lot of peculiar things which happen here. And kind of to an earlier point you made there, Pastor Jenny, you know, it may not explicitly be sin. There actually is a evolution of dangerous things, or maybe I should say a devolution of dangerous things that actually lead up to sin. Like when you look in the Garden of Eden, there's evil stuff going on before the sin is consummated. And James describes this in James chapter 1 and verse Verses 14 and 15, he says, you know, every man is tempted. And when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed, it is when lust has conceived. You know, there's a moment of conception where the sin is not birthed yet, but lust it conceives. But then it brings forth sin. And when sin is finished, it brings forth death. So there are like stages to this stuff. Where like you're tempted by something, you're thinking about it. You got, you got a little bit of lust, but then they're in your own heart. Like the lust consummates and you're like, yeah, I like this isn't just something which flickered in the side of my mind. You know, it wasn't just like the, the serpent came over and here was like, hey, why don't you check out this fruit? It's like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to lust after that. I like it. And, you know, Uncle Screwtape and C.S. Lewis, he's like, that's actually where the sin happens. Once mm-hmm. they consummate the lust in their heart, the sin has happened. And then eventually they'll carry that out into some behavior. And they're like, we wish we could just have them sin in their heart without after having to let them enjoy the pleasure of carrying out that lust. We could just get the corruption without the, the pleasure. That would be fine. But Pastor Mike, your thoughts? You know, I think exactly what you and uh, Pastor Jenny were saying there. You know, the, it, it may start out as, as, as really an evil thing that's going on, but then you have your response to it. Sure. And I think it's very interesting in this story where the vicar is with um, Samuel Wesley and they're up there in the room and as they're they're hearing this, you know what? It, this started out with knocking, but now he's at the, the foot of the bed and the bed's knocking and he pulls his, his gun out, his pistol, and is beginning to shoot at the area of the knocking. If you read the story closely, it almost slips by you. But the knocking is coming at the foot of the bed. And there's three here asleep in the bed. He's getting ready to fire, and the vicar grabs his arm and says, Hey, hang on now. You know, this started out, if this is preternatural, there's nothing you can do to, you know, to kill it. That, that's God's job. But you... Don't let it cause you to respond in a way that you hurt yourself or others. Yeah, I think that's very, it, very, very much a part that I really didn't pick up in reading it until I heard uh, you guys talking about it. Yeah, it's a little bit like uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, where God says unto Cain, Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? But be wary. Mm-hmm. Sin, evil, it's crouching at the door. Its desire is to rule you but you must rule over it. Uh, very much that that same sentiment, I think, is kind of what you're tapping into there. Yeah. Um, yeah. So let's get into the final stage of our, our conversation today. Because in our, our world, and a lot of people have had strange stories like this, mm-hmm. and we have to be wary. Whenever these things happen, it's easy to focus on the ghoul out there. And look, look, I, I'm over here to be Fox Mulder from the X-Files. <laughs> like, cue the X-Files music over here. Like, this, this is... This is what I'm, I'm here to do. I want to believe. I believe, help my unbelief. Like, let's roll with it. 
But the proper focus should actually be some version of John Wesley looking back at the potential sin, looking to what evil, what actually corruption of my soul this year. You know, Jesus says, fear not that which can touch the body, but the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. And, and I'm going to take him and do a version of that. Fear not that which can haunt the body or torment you like or make you suffer. Don't focus on those things. Instead, focus on the own sin in your life because that's what's ultimately going to have you thrown down to perdition there on the day of judgment like you can have as many spooks in your house as you want to and if you're a fortified christian you're going to be fine if you have 12 spooks in your house and you get so focused on them that you start to slip into sin then when you get there on the day of judgment it ain't gonna matter how many spooks was in your house what's going to matter is did you allow that to make you be sinful <laughs> and so focusing in on our own lives and saying how can i be more like christ how can i reflect christ how do i make sure that i'm healthy and whore healthy and whole before God who made me. And one of the things that Pastor Mike brought up is we often do find that things like drugs, um, alcohol, things which have addictions that, that creep into people's lives, and even things like Facebook and Instagram are like crazy addicting. <laughs> the, the reels on Instagram are like a, a just heinous addiction. <laughs> but Pastor Mike, why don't you take our conversation there in that direction of of addiction real quick and we'll kind of all have our final thoughts on that and wrap up from there you know uh, when i first became lead pastor there was some things that i encountered that at trinity at trinity yeah i, yeah. I did not have uh any background in it because my formal education really didn't go in that direction then that was the area of demon possession and a demon oppression and for the first six months to a year it seems like every week there was people coming into the church talking about demon possession or oppression and things of that nature. And as I reflect, you know, with time, uh, you know, and by God's spirit, I think I give some, you know, good advice. And that is uh, to get away, fill yourself with the Holy Spirit, get away from all sin in your life, repent, turn to God. If you're filled with the Spirit, then the devil has no control over you. And so what I found out, though, and, and uh, you know, many, well, I can't think of a single instance when drugs and alcohol or a mixture of the both were not a part of that. And I'm not saying that they were hallucinating. I'm just saying that once you get into hard drugs and alcohol and get to that place of drunkenness, that the, the, door, the devil has a door and a foothold to get in. And so I think, you know, Anytime, just as we look back at this story about, um, you know, Samuel Wesley and these things that they were experiencing, I think John Wesley reflects back on this vow, regardless if it was a, a bad vow or was it, you know, the fact that he reversed on uh, being true to this vow after a year. I don't know if he's trying to, um, you know, uh, try to correct uh, Susanna Wesley or come to find out I think he was punishing himself he decided to go back but nonetheless you know he wasn't true to the vow that he made and so we have to understand that you know anytime we give things such as um, hard drugs and alcohol and being high and not having all our senses then it does leave room for the uh, enemy to come in and attack us yeah and I in my life as a Christian I've had two incidents that distinctly have the characteristics of some sort of demonic influence. I don't know that alcohol or drugs were involved in either of them, but I do know heinous sins were. 
Yeah. I mean, all sin is, is heinous in one way or another, but both of these had some despicable sins involved in them. Heinous lying, manipulation, just wrecking of other people's lives. And the first one, which was dealt with when I was a younger man, um, was quite bad. The second one that happened actually quite here recently, it involved, you know, the popo being called in to, to haul people away, mm. people being put in the hospital, hospital institutionalized. The second one involved, you know, people being physically combined, uh, just some just crazy stuff. And and there were some really wicked, dark sins. Some of the the people involved in this, you know, and may God have mercy on us because we all are, are sinful creatures who deserve destruction. Like we, we all deserve to be thrown into the pits of hell. But God wants to save us and we need to be repentant. And I do pray that everybody involved in the situations in my life are repentant. You know, some of these situations I still work with. But there there does seem to be this th- this theme that I have observed in my life, kind of like Pastor Mike's touching off there, that there are there is an underlying variable. And we oftentimes want to focus on the theater of it, because the theater of it, it, it is pretty, pretty interesting. I, dare I say charming mm. hearing that? I mean, nothing's charming quite like the spook slamming doors and, and stuff <laughs> like that, drawing its power from going up and down the stairs. But the truth is, we actually do need to be looking at to like the underlying sin to make sure people are right with God, because that's ultimately what matters. Mm. Yeah, I, I think there's something interesting. Um, I was trying to, to reflect back, and I, I think it's not really a quote, but kind of a sentiment of... Um, some different people who have talked about the Christian walk and to the effect of um, when the ordinary becomes extraordinary, the extraordinary can become ordinary. And what it kind of, what I'm kind of interpreting that to mean is when we can see God in even the small things of life, just finding the joy and the grace and the strength of God in the ordinary things of life, it becomes powerful. Just simply seeing, you know, whether it's a sunset or loving our family, loving our neighbor, like those little things can become so extremely powerful. And then those extraordinary things that we think are just way too powerful for us to handle and to, 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 to take on, to conquer, those extraordinary things become ordinary. And not in the sense that we can dismiss them or diminish their power over us, but we all of a sudden realize that those things that we thought were too big for us we realize aren't too big for us. And and I think Pastor Jenny made a wonderful statement. She said, we got to bring people in, though. We, we need to ask for the family of God, the, the people of God to come around us. We have to ask for God's help for sure. But when we do that, then those extraordinary things lose control. And so whether it's drug addiction or alcohol addiction or, or the thousands of addictions that plague our society, whether it is simply that misspoken word that begins to create that divide between us and a friend, whatever that dynamic is, we can find that it's never too big for God. And I think that's the beauty of this. Also, like the little sister that can go play by <laughs> playing hide and seek with the whatever the spooky noise is, because she knows that this thing is just, it's not, it may be um, beyond normal, but it's not supernatural. It's not beyond the control of God. And, and I think this is a good reminder when we're talking specifically about these addictions. For the families and the people who are in it, it is very difficult. I don't want to diminish that at all, but it's not impossible. Amen. And so yeah. we have to, and we, we encourage our listeners, if you have people in your life or if you're one of those people that's dealing with these things, seek help. Like there's yeah. there's no shame. Uh, there's no, nothing should hinder you from coming and asking for help. And people will help empower you and encourage you to walk away from the things in your life. So this is, I think this story and where Pastor Mike was going is a beautiful way to just understand we need each other. We need God. 
and then there is nothing too big for us. Sure. Yeah, and I would just like to say, you know, that that whole boldness about facing those things is exactly what you're talking about. And I, I love in the story is that they they didn't try to face them. Well, I guess you could say uh, Samuel Wesley wanted to face it alone, but many of them shared with mm-hmm. one another and said, help me decipher this. This is what I experienced. And I just want to, you know, say, yeah, um, uh, Pastor Amanda is point on. Take that boldness to, to share with someone to get that help if you need it. Sure. Pastor Jenny, any final thoughts? Yeah, so I think, you know, kind of drawing it all together, God is always in the business of reconciling us to himself, mm-hmm. and that's what the whole story of the gospel is. It's always about God reconciling us to him in various ways. And when we start towing that line of sin, it really comes down to attitude from ourselves and selfishness a lot of times. And so we have to keep in mind we all have the ability to make our own choices. We have the responsibility to make choices that are um, honoring to God and our families constantly and we have to make those decisions every single day and a lot of times because we are so addicted to comfort especially in America (laughs) um, we will choose sin over making hard choices Mm -hmm. and so a lot of times that looks like you know giving in to drugs or alcoholism or you know even just neglecting our family because we want to sit on the couch and watch tv we go into the these addictive behaviors that you know don't necessarily normally classify as sin but neglecting our family because we want to watch the 12th season of the walking dead for the 50th time or whatever um because we we put our needs above others is where this stuff starts to seep in and so we have to cut it off when it begins and we have to constantly repent when we notice these behaviors in ourselves and we have to ask God to come in and cleanse our heart from that and then just try to be so full of God that there's not a lot of gaps for that to happen and when we notice that we're starting to slip we bring others in and help them to help us fill up and be full of the Holy Spirit Amen Well Pastor Jenny we always close our program with a, a final thought that does not have to be related to anything we've talked about today. It can be something we've seen all throughout the world, um, something going on in your life, something you're excited to have happening here in the, the upcoming future. It could be anything at all. So we're going to go around with our, our final thoughts, our parting words, and this usually is meant to be just like a few sentences or something like that, but we'll begin with Pastor Amanda. Anything on your oh. heart as we close? No, I, I'm four weeks from ordering my car. That is all that's on my mind. I want my new car so bad, <laughs> so I can't give any grand, grand uh, uh, sentiment or, or pontification. All I've got is it's hot, and I want a car with air conditioning. But <laughs> Well, no, that, see, that, I, I can appreciate that. Pastor Mike? I thought the original Ghostbusters was, you know, Dan Aykroyd Bill, and Bill Murray and all that, but I have... After reading all of this and seeing John Wesley pull out his side iron, I'm beginning to, not John Wesley, Samuel Wesley, I'm beginning to think that the original Ghostbuster might have been Samuel Wesley. That means that's my final thought. If if, if one would like to donate to the program, you can do that at patreon.com slash kingdom of the logos. And if we, we do get enough of a budget, maybe we need to do 
a, a, a parody of Ghostbusters that is just the John Wesley's family, mm-hmm. like Samuel, Susanna, Wesley. Um, the we Ghostbusters. need the station wagon. Oh, there don't. is someone driving around Nashville that has a Ghostbusters car. We can ask to borrow the Ghostbusters it, I guess. vehicle. It, yeah. And then they have a friend that has the Jurassic Park um, Ranger. So. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm ready for all this. Yeah. Explore. <laughs> uh, Pastor Jenny, do you have any final thoughts? Yeah, um, I'm just really excited to be visiting, and um, this is definitely a little out of my comfort zone, but I think it was a good push, and um, I'm glad that I got to talk with you guys See, today. You did very well. <laughs> yeah, you did yeah, well. Thank you. We're here to destroy comfort zones. We're here yes. to destroy comfort, actually. We're, we're not in cord purgatory because we are people of comfort. Yes. yes. Be careful. And, and my, my final thought is, you know, Dad shared a story. There's a whole incident with demon dogs. Um, much more practical than I would have thought of. You know, my own dog, Baron. <laughs> Is he a demon when, when dog? People, people often look at Baron, and he's supposed to be something like a, a mix between a Chihuahua and a Papillon or something. I don't know. But but he truly is the little demon dog. <laughs> I think I'm going to start telling people when they ask me what he is, he's a peevish terrier. When Dad and I... See, you won't catch it at first. He's a peevish terrier. When, when we were on air, live outside the house, I think it was last Saturday or Sunday... Baron menaced his arm so brutally live on air like he ripped holes hold your arm up again I got the camera over there ripped holes in dad's arm just clawed him to death this little dog this little white dog it's not just because I'm old and my skin is thin he's a he's a beast a menace a beast a demon dog (laughs) this little white I love the little fellow but my goodness he's rough (laughs) yeah he's he's rough and and he is the demon dog from some people's stories he is the nightmare um, the little one year old white menace So, we're going to end there. Thank you for joining us. May God bless you. May you find the peace with Christ that is needed every day in our lives. With that, God love you and have a blessed day.